If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit Cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. Yeah, so the remote management piece came out a lot of trial and error. Like, you may remember our founding story. Like, we started out as a research project looking at humanitarian applications for hydroponic farms. And we were really thinking about what's the smallest farm that could feed someone or mm. support their family, support a business. And, you know, that was about seven years ago. That mm. was a radical departure from the big farms that are still the status quo today. So we were really just like, well, it is technically possible to grow enough food to feed someone in a very small area using hydroponic farm. What's stopping that from being a reality? Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 8. Regular listeners to the show, I wish I could just give you a big hug and, <laughs> or at least buy you a drink or uh, high five you. I want to thank you for all the support you provide for the show, all the ways you're spreading the word about the good work we're doing here and bringing people into the fold. I really appreciate each and every one of you, listener. Thank you so much for all the support you do. I feel it. And it really motivates me and fuels me to keep moving forward with this. This is our hundredth episode, and it's been crazy to think about this journey that started three years ago. If this is your first time listening, then this will probably tell you that you're in the right place. This is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. My name is Harry Duran. I've been podcasting since 2014 with my first show, Podcast Junkies. I'm the founder of Fullcast, or Full service podcast production agency and started this show in 2022 in march of all days and months (laughs) lots going on in the world at that time so it's been crazy to think about how the timing couldn't have been more perfect for addressing supply chain issues this idea of access to fresh food in impoverished communities food deserts all of it has been coming to light and it's been an incredible learning journey for me along the way as i have these conversations with some of the brightest minds in the space, folks that have come on for one or two, maybe even three return trips to the show. I'm excited for all the events coming up in 2023. Indoor Icon was great to meet and greet folks in Las Vegas earlier this year, getting ready for my trip to Indoor Ag Tech NYC. And that'll be my second trip there. That'll be in New York City at the Marriott Marquis. So if you're going to be going there and if you're hearing this in time, then I'd love to connect with you as well. I'm also planning to attend Vertifarm in Dortmund, Germany this year, which will be fun. So that'll be three conferences, definitely, that I'm part of this year, which help me understand and learn more about this wonderful, wonderful space that we're all in together. If you missed last episode, we had a great conversation with Gabriel Zerafonitis. He's the president and founder of Farm Anywhere. We connected in Dubai. He's a self-taught entrepreneur. He shared his passion for sustainable agriculture, and the challenges he faced in building a high-tech farming solution. It was a great conversation, chock full of interesting insights from someone who really understands the ins and outs of this business and has had a lot of success and shared a lot of those on the show. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already. 
This week, we have a return trip. It's Alexander Olison. He is the CEO of Babylon Microforms. It's crazy to think about the progress of the show. Alexander was on with his co-founder way back in season two, episode 24. So if you want to get an overview of that story, please give that one a listen as well. This time around, we get to catch up on our experiences at Indoor AgCon. We were both there and we got to spend some time together touring downtown Las Vegas, which was nice to have some downtime and also see some of the challenges that that organization and that area is facing. It's been great to see some of the progress being made. If you've been following our socials, you'll see that previous guest Ali Daniali of Harvest has been partnering with Alaric Overbay also a previous guest, and they've installed five container farms on site. It's so exciting to see what's happened in just over 100 days since we were there for the conference, and I'm sure a lot more is planned as well. In this episode, you'll hear about Alexander and his thoughts on sustainability, scaling, and customer satisfaction. We talk about the potential for CEA with local service operators and government involvement. We also talk about eliminating single-use plastic, delivering fresh and healthy crops in a timely fashion, their work with the gallery, which is making it easier than ever for them to grow fresh food on site, and also their recent efforts with a successful fundraise and how their decision to manufacture their own products amplifies their ability to drive down costs and complexity. Lots to cover here. Grateful for Alexander to provide some nuts and bolts details about what's happening behind the scenes and how they've been continuing to have success with their product. So a great follow-up to our previous conversation. I know you'll get a lot out of this one. As a reminder, if you are enjoying this episode or any of our past episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Yes, you can actually pause this podcast, this episode right now if you'd like to and do that. ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing puts a smile on my face more than to read those out on a future episode. Also, as a reminder, these episodes are chock full of great takeaways and information. Remember, I want you to focus all your energy on our conversation. Rest assured, you can always visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com and you'll have the full show notes at your disposal, which includes all of our guest links and all materials and resources mentioned as well. Again, episode 100, I'm so honored for you to come along on this journey with me. Sometimes we're moving so fast that we don't take time to celebrate the small wins. This is in fact an amazing win (laughs) and so exciting to see where this has gone and where we're going to go from here. Ideas for new shows are percolating. I've had some great conversations with folks who answered my call (laughs) from the previous episode about some possible opportunities. So if there's anything that comes to mind for you as you listen to these conversations, as you listen to me talk about the potential in this industry, you can always feel free to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn and also Harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Alexander, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. This year, Indoor Ag Tech is coming to New York City's Times Square, and it's bringing together the world's leading growers, retailers, tech providers, seed companies, and investors. Join us from June 29th to June 30th to meet, expand networks, and produce fruitful partnerships. The team has been gracious enough to provide listeners of this show with an additional 10% off of the registration. Simply use promo code VFP when you register and lock that in. And by the way, if you're on the fence, remember that early bird discount ends on May 11th. After a pivotal year for CEA, the summit will explore what's needed to ensure the industry can continue innovating and growing into a crucial part of the global agri-food supply chain. I'm excited to introduce our latest sponsor, Ounce of Hope. 
an aquaponics cannabis company. Ounce of Hope utilizes aquaponics to cultivate cannabis and seafood livestock. They also perform their own extraction and product formulation in the heart of Memphis, Tennessee. While managing 5,000 gallons of koi and tilapia, Ounce of Hope's system allows for abundant production of fish poop nutrients, which you can now buy online. This product is concentrated plant food for any size garden. Fish poop is free of emulsions, bad smells, and won't burn your plants. Ounce of Hope is giving Vertical Farming Podcast listeners 50% off their first order. So swim on over to ounceofhope.com to experience the aquaponic side of cannabis and use promo code FISHPOOP. How fun is that? So Alexander Olison, CEO and co-founder of Babylon Microfarms, thank you for returning again for round two on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thanks, Eric. Excited to be here. I guess you had a good time if you decided to come back for round two. <laughs> <laughs> something like that as it is interesting time in the industry and interesting time with Babylon. so i'm excited to kind of share some updates and uh, yeah. chat with you i think what's interesting for me and uh, you know obviously in the beginning the first rounds are getting to know about the company getting to know about the founders i was on with your co-founder graham smith last time and indoor agcon was my very first indoor farming conference last year in 2022 but the thing that did stand out for me, and I told you this when I saw you this year, is the fact that you've got, smartly enough, <laughs> a Babylon Microforums display front and center as people are registering for the event. So since Interacon, so last year was my first one. As far as conferences go, had you been going for a while with Interacon? Yeah, so we're a big fan of Interacon, and I think it's a good industry get-together, although I would say it's one of the only industry conferences we do because we're not the same as most of the other companies yeah, there yeah, and i yeah. think it's always you know obviously the same fundamentals we're growing plants and helping grow food at the same to some degree but for us we spend a lot of time at customer conferences so in the food service world you know healthcare education that's where you'll find us most of the time but it was exciting to see our indirect con and it has grown so much yeah. in the last few years which i think is a, a testament to the industry and growth behind it and how many had you been to so far so we did one pre-COVID, which was a completely different thing. It was like a you know, tiny get-together yeah. compared to what we saw a few months ago. And I think we've done the last two. Okay. Yeah. And even between last year and this year, from everything that we've heard at the conference, they doubled in size. So kudos to Suzette and Brian and the whole team there, just in terms of what they've done to bring awareness. It's challenging. There's so much competition, especially now. I feel like there's an indoor farming conference popping up all over the world lately. Yeah, there are a few out there. Although there was one that I think has been canceled, Cumulus. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Cumulus. Yeah. I heard about that one. Yeah. That was, I don't know, but I guess there's a lot of change going on in the space at the yeah. moment. So. Yeah, to say the least. When you go there, and I don't know if this is something you had thought about or something from a, mar I'm always curious from a marketing perspective because, you know, there's a lot of people that go into the pavilion and they get to go and make the rounds and see all businesses and the farms there and all the technologies. But somehow you managed to secure some prime real estate <laughs> front and center. So it's literally as you're going in and as you're going out of the conference, even just from a curiosity standpoint and almost like even for indoor icon, just to have that visual of like actual that visual display you have in front in the front is really great. Yeah, I think it serves both purposes, right? Obviously, we were pretty happy with the location. And one of the reasons we were there is because it was co-located co with the National Grocers yes, Association. Right. So, you know, for us, we see retail and food service as prime locations to be able to grow their own food on site. And we do it in a way that they can do it in a safe, 
reliable, convenient format. Yeah. And I think that kind of hopefully bridged the gap nicely between the expo hall and, uh, and the grocers association. What type of conversations were you having there? I think there are a lot of things around like, what can you grow? Why does this make sense? You know, yeah. you've got guys in the next room talking about hundreds of acres of greenhouse. And then yeah. you're in here with something that's 15 square feet. Like, yeah. how does that work? And I think that's a really common question. We're like, that's because this is designed for on-site production. So these are small volumes of high value ingredients designed to be in a way to captivate the end consumer. So the value props is very different. And I think for a lot of the grocers, especially the ones that are more local or farm table, and it's not only grocers, right? There are a lot of kind of urban agriculture enthusiasts who are there uh, from the food service world yeah. as well. They're like, yeah, we get it. This is exactly why we think indoor farming and urban agriculture is so great. It's because you can captivate the end consumer and help kind of thread that needle between kind of local and healthy sourcing and growing your own food. And I think you know, that's kind of a space that we fit into that's very different to the big commercial greenhouses and plant factories. Did you spend some time in the National Grocers Conference as well? Very briefly, okay. yeah. And so what other type, I mean, how many other conferences now at this point now are you attending every year? I actually don't know if I have, but plenty, you know, as I say, I think really across the food service realm, yeah. we're there trying to get units and be in front of people and let them know that growing their own food is an option because I think there's still an education gap where yes. a lot of places are like, wait, I didn't even know this was an option or yeah. they've seen the status quo. And I think that is something we challenge is like, you can go to Lowe's and drill a hole in a PVC pipe and have a hydroponic farm if you want to look after it every single day. Yeah. And it is a little science experiment. And that is for most small scale growers, that is still the status quo. It towers, it's PVC pipe, and it is a science experiment that you have to look off every day. Yeah. That's great. We're trying to apply some technology and some nice design and a service to kind of expand the market and make it possible for people who have no interest in trying to be a farmer to grow their own food, right? And I think that trying to show people that that's possible is really what, what we've been trying to do and conferences are a great vehicle for that. Well, it doesn't hurt that you have a, a beautiful form factor in terms of what you're, what you're offering. Specifically now, you've got gallery. So can you talk a little bit about, as I mentioned earlier, it was two years since we chatted last time. Safe to say a lot has changed since then. But think about where you were February 2021, what you were tasked with as you know the leader of Babylon and you know what you were focused on and looking back over the, those past two years to present day you know talk a little bit about how well you feel you've executed on what the plan was yeah so if I still wind the clock back a couple of years and I think we'd just come out of you know three years of iterating prototypes we just secured some early contracts and i think we got the technology to a point where we were very happy with the functionality but it wasn't it wrapped up in a way that we felt comfortable scaling and that's really what the gallery addresses so we got the technology where we'd want it to be from a remote management point of view but we are then adjusting the hardware and the sort of design for manufacturability and that's really what the gallery does so it brings kind of a new level of aesthetic it's way easier to install and manufacture and it's also way easier to maintain for our clients. So I think there are so many minutiae learnings that you just simply wouldn't know unless you'd had a lot of units out in the field with customers. So collecting that feedback, iterating on the software side as well as the hardware, that's really where the gallery elevates this concept to a new level. And you know, we're now ready to scale with it because it is kind of we think a category defining product that makes it easier than, than ever before to grow your own fresh food. 
So for folks who are not familiar, and I'll encourage folks to go back and listen to that first interview we had, just to get an overview of your origin story and, and you know how you Babylon started. But for people that may not be familiar with the product offering and who an ideal partner or client is, can you talk people through that? Yeah. So our goal is to empower businesses and communities to grow their own fresh food using remotely managed vertical farms. So we build turnkey modules that are sort of hydroponic farms that are self-contained. And then we actually run a lot of the day-to-day maintenance remotely. So that's nutrients, pH, irrigation, lighting, all of the kind of day-to-day variables you need to control for optimal plant growth. We do that remotely so the user doesn't have to worry about it. They're responsible for planting, harvesting, and cleaning. And we provide a service and account managers in between to just streamline it and integrate it into their workflow. So our go-to-market has focused on institutional food service operators, property managers, you know, restaurants, that kind of dynamic where we're able to allow them to grow their own sort of fresh ingredients year-round. So we found had some early success there. And yeah, we've t- tailored, tailored experiences for the B2B market is kind of where we're focusing our efforts today. Has the partner or client mix changed since we last spoke about who you're working with and who this would be an ideal fit for? It's grown, but the focus is still the same. And I would say just in terms of executing on our plans, that focus is everything. You know, I think when we look at, again, compared to the status quo, we have elevated the concept. It's easy to use, but we've also implemented a lot of features for food safety, traceability, and scaling, you know, and, and tracking the efficacy of the farms that we know how much is growing and who's doing it. And these are really important features for large food service companies who are looking to scale on-site growing. You know, if you're looking at a raised bed or an alternative like urban farming solution, they don't offer that traceability. And I think that's mm-hmm. where we're really playing to our strengths and catering to these larger corporate clients. And yeah, we're focused across kind of healthcare, education, some corporate settings and, and some other food service and retail applications. And that focus is served as well. I was looking at the unit on the site and it seems like there's been a lot of thought and consideration into this next version of it. And just some of the things that stand out for me, the fact that it's 55% less plastic, on-site compostable growth medium, more recyclable components, 30 minutes a week to keep up, which I think is great. 45 varieties of produce and the fact that it's zero pesticides. Obviously, I could list all the improvements in terms of cameras and sensors, but how much thought was put into, you know, this idea of of making it easy to use, but also, you know, towards an eye towards sustainability and obviously questions people have about plastic and recycling and impact to the environment. Yeah, so there are a couple of buckets. I think for the unit itself, that's really kind of us internally knowing that we're now setting the standard. Yeah. So food safety and ultimately kind of the sustainability of operating a farm site. That is one of the main reasons people are investing in indoor farming across the spectrum is that it's a more sustainable solution and we better be setting the standard for that. So eliminating single-use plastic, these are things that are just important to us as a company and our, our customers appreciate that. And then the other bucket is really like it's happy customers and healthy crops. Those are the two things that matter. And so everything we do is to kind of serve those needs. So whether that's adding new features, changing the design to ensure that the crops are growing in a more healthy and reliable way, that's like absolutely kind of table stakes. And then the other layer is just around like ultimately making it easy for people. Making it easy for people is also about helping them avoid making mistakes. And so there are a lot of kind of features, whether that's through software or through sensors that are there to catch issues before they become real issues for the plants. And those two things 
working at Omni together has taken, you know, what coming, actually it's our sixth anniversary of the company wow. later this month. And so six years of R&D and trial and error to figure out a way to really keep the crops healthy and the customers happy at scale, right? Because that's the thing is like his, the status quo is running this farm like a science experiment every day. And when people have looked at running distributed farms, that usually meant sending a person between those distributed farms every day yeah. or multiple times a week to manually run them. And we have kind of figured out a way to do that remotely. And that really opens up a lot of possibilities as to who can start running these farms successfully. Would you say that that's always been the vision from the moment you started this idea of having it being run remotely? And how has that affected your decisions about the makeup of the team as you look to grow and hire? Yeah, so the remote management piece came out a lot of trial and error. Like, I think maybe remember our founding story, like we started out as a research project yeah. looking at humanitarian applications for hydroponic farms. And we were really thinking about what's the smallest farm that could feed someone or mm. support their family, support a business. And you know, that was about seven years ago. That yeah. was a radical departure from the big farms that are still the status quo today. So we were really just like, well, it is technically possible to grow enough food to feed someone in a very small area yeah. using a hydroponic farm. What's stopping that from being a reality? Yeah. And that is where the whole notion of remote management came in and the service that we felt. We're like, okay, so if we could actually control that, the complexities of the user experience remotely and the customer doesn't even have to think about it then you're going to really create a new user experience that could unlock the potential of this. Because it goes without saying that people want to grow their own food. Yeah. We've been doing that throughout history. This is a new form factor that's allowing people to do it way around in urban environments where they may not have been able to do it before. The remote management kind of evolved. They're like, okay, if we could remove all of these friction points, then who's going to start doing it? And that's what we're seeing today. We've got LinkedIn, we've got IKEA, we've got cruise ships, we've got all these people now who are like, wait, I can grow my own food? That's, and they're starting to do it. So it's, and it's really exciting to see the new adoption. And we have all sorts of kind of fringe use cases coming at us inbound now, which is exciting to see as this market heats up. And I really think none, none of that would be possible if you were still asking those people to learn the intricate science of like hydroponic agriculture. And because we're remotely managing it there, people are now getting creative with the different applications for on-site farming. What are some of the niche applications or markets that you know you hadn't probably even thought would be a use case for this? I think one thing I see a lot of which gets me pretty excited is around like being self-sufficient for certain ingredients. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's an aspirational goal for us, but really getting the unit down to a point where you can tell me how many pounds and ounces of a given ingredient you use, and I'll tell you how many units of how many microfarm units you would need to meet that need. Yeah. And then you're self-sufficient. That is something we're seeing more of, which is really encouraging. And then the other one is just on the use cases. Like we have, you know, senior living communities who have like a weekly harvest celebration oh, wow. in the salad bar. And I'm like, you, that's creating a very unique and special moment for those seniors where they're able to engage in farming way around. It's like, those are sort of cool, cool applications we see. And then, yeah, the recent one on a cruise ship, I think that was the, the world's first installation on a cruise ship. They're actually doing more of those projects now. That was it's more than a one-off, but yeah, they're yeah. now growing food on the seven seas, wherever they are. And I think that's super cool. I wonder if that's some, like a yeah claim to say that you're the first to grow <laughs> leafy greens on the sea, open seas. I'm waiting for SpaceX to call up. We're ready. I think you partnered with iGrow News or they mentioned you in this discussion around the importance of urban farms. You and I actually took part in a tour of a food desert in Las Vegas. 
So I'm curious about your thoughts about the importance of shining a light on that problem, this idea of urban farms, the role of government. You know, I know you've got an opinion about how they can help in this task as well. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I'd want to shout out to Greenside Up Farms who gave us that tour of yeah. the Las Vegas food deserts. And I think they're doing great work. And I think it's tested, they're a great case study, actually, of a lot of things we're seeing where you have local groups who are taking up indoor farming and trying to run different types of urban farms across the U.S. They're people we're actively seeking to work with. So if people listening to this run an indoor urban farming initiative in any city, we can partner with them to install farms in the area and we're hoping to do that with green side up actually and i think that's just part of this trend right ever greening up our cities is gonna happen yeah. it's happening right now and there are lots of different kind of form factors emerging the need for local service operators is key and also the need for local government involvement i think we've started to see a trend in that direction and we're a little bit of an outlier because we don't really fit the mold for traditional but indoor farms but we've seen some pretty exciting grants and subsidies becoming available for you know, electricity and things like that, but tailored primarily for the larger scale growers. And I think we, in an ideal state, the indoor farming sector would be subsidized in a way similar to renewable energy. I think once the soft benefits and the social benefits of indoor farming are understood, as well as the savings on emissions from not shipping stuff all around the world and the waste that comes with that, I would see that. I can see that happening. It's just really, we need to be more transparent with the data to have more success stories. And certainly for our space, you know, if there were, if the subsidies were available, whether it's on the manufacturing logistics, it would completely change the business model. Like we, that's the path we're on right now. We're driving the cost down of our units as fast as we can within the resources we have. And the goal is, and we see it with every step down in cost, being able to save money on the produce compared to buying it from that farm that shipped it all the way across the country. Right now, it's only kind of a handful of high-value herbs and microgreens. But as the cost of our units comes down, we're kind of unlocking new crops that can be commercially viable. And I think that trend is similar across the industry. So, yeah, any incentives that can exist to further that would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, in addition to the round you raised, you also received the grant as well. Yeah, we've been lucky. We sort of we pursued every angle that yeah. we needed to get started. And, and you know, the National Science Foundation has been great for us. It is one of the more exciting pieces of technology that we've developed. So in short, right, everyone tracks the same input variables. It is pH, EC, nutrients, the irrigation, like everyone kind of tracks those. It's the output that matters. Yeah. And right now, in most cases, you're manually tracking that. So the sort of coloring of the leaf, the flavor, the yield. And what we've developed with the National Science Foundation is a method of using our cameras to actually track the growth rate of the leaf's spot imperfections. And that is essentially automatically tracking the output so that you don't need human intervention. Mm -hmm. And it's in early days now, but that is super exciting for us. As we think about scaling a distributed network of farms, you need to be able to have that feedback loop in a way that can be automated. And so that's something we're really trying to build in. And the grant funding allowed us to do that because it was pretty out there. We wouldn't put it in our day-to-day business plan. But the fact that there are innovation and research grants available that identified that as a need and we're able to build that that is going to help with our own commercialization and potentially benefit the industry is really exciting. I think the challenge that some companies face when looking at the opportunities available with grants, I think is just the overwhelming like amount of detail that needs to go into you need a skill set to apply for these, to know how to write these, to have the time to do them, and also the time for when you receive them. I, there was one that recently was a was just 
I think expired at the end of March, but I was think it was like seven and a half million dollars, I think, for urban farming. But when you look at it, the money wouldn't have been available, I think, till sometime in September. So I think when people are looking at it's not something obviously that's going to be a quick fix. And it's something you probably need a bit of a skill set in order to think about how to write these in a way that has the best chance of success of receiving them. Yeah, they're a commitment. You really have to kind of deliver on the work that you set out yeah. to unlock the funding. And you know, that so for us it's just really important to apply to things that are aligned with our product roadmap. And we we've done that. But yeah, they're cumbersome, but I think ultimately like all these things, make time if it matters. Yes. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the work that went into raising this round. How how long was this process for folks that may not be familiar with what it takes to, to raise a round of this size? And talk a, bit, a little bit about the relationship with your investors as, as well. And just curious about that, what that journey was like. It was rough. You know, I think this environment is tough. I think in the time that we were raising, as unfortunately, we largely closed everything before the Silicon Valley Bank yeah. crisis. However, you know, the environment has been changing for quite some time. But I think ultimately, we've got good fundamentals. We've got a product in the market that is ready. You know, we've got it UL listed. It has reached a kind of maturity that our customers are really happy and the fundamentals are good. So we've just got to execute on our plan, fill our back blog of orders and you know, continue growing. So I think investors appreciated that and saw that there was real substance to our business in a way that perhaps, you know, in this environment, others may not have. And we're also at a stage where, you know, we're still small enough. I think that, you know, we're raising what we need to get to the next milestone. And I think that, again, we're lucky in a way to be smaller than some of the other companies in the space. I don't know if you saw the news this week. I think a couple of other companies that are shutting down and yeah. it's really tough to see that but again we hadn't raised big venture capital money so yeah. the expectations perhaps weren't as high and so for us it's just about execution and when we we are lucky to have great follow-on from our existing investor base and, and to attract some new ones that um, you really want to help see us execute how much have you had to grow as a, a ceo in terms of wearing the different hats because obviously when you have those conversations with investors Lots of meetings, lots of planning, lots of spreadsheets, I imagine, <laughs> and lots of, you know, figuring out, you know, how you explain the story to them and how you show them the potential of what's possible, in addition to having to run the business on, the, on a day-to-day basis. It's a lifestyle almost, you know, every day I'm in the office for a lot of hours and yeah. then home studying, you know, studying to an extent. You know, I think that is the necessary growth that you have, you have to do to succeed in, in this space. And, you know, we're still early. I think the, one of the challenges we face is we're not measured by the same standards as other indoor farms. Like there is a generally held like KPIs for greenhouses and things yeah. that just don't apply to us. Yeah, so yeah. there is a little, uh, that's sort of one of the things that's exciting about what we do, but it's also one of the risks. And so just trying to kind of paint a picture of how we benchmark against other connected hardware and things that maybe are outside of the vertical farming space is being really helpful. Where are you seeing some innovations in the space? Because obviously with something like Gallery, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of, I imagine, relationships that you have with manufacturers, equipment, technology, talking about sensors, software, lots of moving points. I'm wondering what that supply chain looks like and what those relationships look like over time. That has become one of our greatest strengths. And I think people often overlook just how difficult it is to make something like the idea might be good. Everything might be the market might be great, but the execution on making products that are reliable that you can engineer costs out of that is something that we really we've decided to just own that we actually are manufacturing ourselves and the ability to drive cost and complexity out of the unit has been amplified by that decision. So you know, that is something being able to deliver a consistent product 
and have realistic lead times is something that we've been able to achieve over the last year or two, which I think is, is a huge milestone that's often overlooked. It's actually just super hard to make things consistently. I was, as I noticed that uh, you had, obviously there's been a, a ton of publicity lately for Babylon. You were both selected, I think, as Forbes 30 under 30, if I read that correctly. Yeah, <laughs> so, I would say yeah. a great, great accolade. Uh, lucky as me and my co-founder, Graham, that we were able to get that. And then also you were featured in TechCrunch as well. So it's interesting when we talk about technology, do you find that there's more availability to get exposure in the technology side as well because of the work you're doing here? I think it is interesting. Like remotely managing a fleet of devices is kind of a new thing yeah. in general. And it's, and which we have a pretty unique application of that, right? We're managing mini micro greenhouse and growing plants and all of the stuff that comes with that. So yeah, we do get some exposure on that front. And I think the nature of our product, right? Everyone wants one in their home. That's like the automatic reaction. Although we don't do consumer applications at this time, it does mean that people really relate with the product and what it represents. That was interesting because when you see the form factor, it naturally lends itself well. If you have enough space in the home for something like that, is that something that's on the roadmap or like a, a mini gallery? <laughs> it is not clear at this time. We have all of the tools to do yeah. it. Like remote management is the core of what we do, yeah. and that is hardware agnostic. So we definitely see opportunities to develop systems for different markets, like the consumer space or for different crop types. And that's kind of where we see we're being a little opportunistic on that front because it's not obvious the consumer market at this time. Yeah. But we could do it. <laughs> yeah. How is the plan? And this might have been the plan from the time we last spoke, but how do you think about the growth of the team? How have you grown the team? And I'm also curious also about the different skill sets you need because Everything you described, you could almost have like a deep dive in subject matter experts on growth, on subject matter experts on software, on remote management, on technology, on supply chain issues. So you need folks that have those specific expertises. But obviously, you know, there's a challenge with in terms of who you can hire and, and how you hire. So I'm curious how you think about that challenge. Yeah, I think there are different moving parts. Ultimately, it comes back to, I think, healthy crops and happy customers, right? So as long as everything's aligned behind those, it, it doesn't have to be as complicated as it, as it sounds. Yeah. And how has the team grown since we last chatted? So we're, yeah, I, actually, we have not grown the headcount that much. Okay. You know, we're really focused at the moment on our go-to-market and sales. But ultimately, we kind of laid the foundation with our seed round. Headcounts remain about flat there. And that's part of, I think, just trying to be disciplined, disciplined around like how we're allocating resources. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of what we're trying to put. That's right. If you, if you can really remotely manage farms with software, then you shouldn't need to add too yeah. much. There should, the the headcount should not scale yeah. with the install base. So we're really trying to put that to the test and we've kept our headcount flat for the better part of the last year. I'm curious, just coming back to our, we chatted a little bit when we were in Las Vegas. Just personally, I'm curious, what was it about the opportunity to go see what was happening in person with these food deserts? Because what was interesting about the conference is you get the high level, you have the super big farms, you have everyone on stage talking about the mega farm potential. <laughs> and what's interesting is it's a big difference between seeing the potential and people talking about you know feeding the world, which you hear a lot of, but also this ability to actually go see what's happening Literally with people like on the street who have to like, who didn't grow up in a neighborhood with, with access to fresh food. And, you know, this concept of a food desert is something that we, we've talked about as well. So when you saw that that opportunity was available to have that tour, what was it that drew you to make sure you, you made time to go do that? 
Yeah, it is. And it was a great experience and, you know, great as in it's a challenge to see. It's a challenging environment. And I think it's all too common across the US, right? Yeah. Food deserts and what they represent is something at the core of why we exist as a company. We're trying to create new ways for people to grow their own food, largely in urban areas. And while it's price prohibitive at this stage, we know that's not going to be the case forever. And that's something we, I feel as a company, we can drive forward is accessibility to these kinds of technology and this kind of sustainable growing. So to go and see that firsthand, I think it was super impactful for me. It was a good reminder of why we're doing what we do. Because, you know, in the same way you go to these industry conferences, there's a lot of high level, a lot of talk about tech and AI and investment, but it's like, well, ultimately we're growing food. (laughs) 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 And so I, I think it was important for me to see that. And again, the green side up, the work they're doing is fantastic. And I hope we'll be partnering with them to to deliver some microfarms to Vegas in the near future. Do you think that's the model that works the best to partner with folks who have those relationships on the ground, folks like the Green Side Up? Because it's interesting because it's almost like a trust factor with a community and an education factor, because I think a lot of the times these communities, they don't know what they don't know. And if they've never had access to fresh produce and all they've known is like the Jack in the Box and the 99 cents like cheeseburger, there's a challenge between what's available with your budget and your desire to maybe you do have the desire for that something nutritious or something you know that's better for you and your family but you know either you don't have the money for it so there's a lot of moving parts and they're partnering with local governments i think is also something that people have talked about but you know what do you see just from your perspective in terms of some of the challenges to make that actually viable at the ground level i think with especially with distributed farming solutions it's all about people right you know certainly on on at our company that's really what matters is relationships and yeah. i think the same extends to sta- sales especially when you're looking whether it's in educational settings community settings you know there's a number of stakeholders that need to be involved there's often grant funding and other things and so you really need people who have got their finger on the pulse of what's out there and that's certainly something we've seen success in is when you partner up with community actors, they often know about resources that are available, mm-hmm. people who are involved. And I think one thing we find is nine times out of 10, people really want to do this. It's lining up the other things. There's resources that yeah. are, are a challenge. And so partnering with local people is important. And then, you know, ultimately just making sure people have the resources and the education they need to understand what they're getting into. I think that is key to setting expectations for what we do and, and for all indoor farming. It's right setting expectations correctly and making sure people are informed because it is a decision, right? You're going to start growing your own food. Okay, great. You're going to get the output of that food. Yeah. It's going to be higher quality and ultimately it can be a really beneficial experience. But you're also, you are taking up farming just because we made it really easy. <laughs> and that's the same for all indoor farming solutions, especially at the community level, right? It's getting, and that's where we look at partnering with people who understand that. Right. So if they're already urban farming, they probably think what we're doing is the easiest thing ever. (laughs) So it helped to find those people. When you have conversations with new partners, new clients, what are some of the misconceptions in terms of what they think? Part of it may be the fact that they think it might be easier than it is, but what else have you come across? Yeah, I think we're in an interesting time, right? Where staffing shortages, other things play a factor in, in decision making. And I think we hear a lot of unsuccessful endeavors into urban farming of all sorts because people didn't really understand what they're getting into yeah. so do you have the time available do you understand the output that you're going to get and ultimately do you understand and get the most value out of it like when we have engaged operators this can be like absolute center piece for their dining operation and we have some so amazing success stories and then in the same way you know if, if they're not engaged that can present some challenges 
So yeah, I think setting expectations, making people realize that we make it really easy, but it doesn't mean it's fully automated. We've had people, you know, where <laughs> we don't have robots like harvesting crops for them yet, you know, despite, although that's what some people might think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you seeing the most innovation when you think about the genomics, when you think about seeds, when you think about all the specifics that go into growing crops specifically for these types of environments? Where are you seeing innovations or are you having conversations with folks on the seed side and the genomic sides to partner with them to create the what you need to grow specifically in your farms? Yeah, I think the way I look at it is these distributed farming systems are a tool, right? Mm -hmm. So you could have container farms, you could have micro farms that we do. You could also have kind of larger scale tower systems yeah. where they're turnkey devices. They are a tool. And you've got to find the right application for those tools. Yeah. So that fits in with the setting expectations, right? So we know for us, for certain applications where it's really successful and we found kind of a, a happy product and a market fit. And I think that is really where you see these tools being developed. And for specific applications, they can be amazingly successful. But ultimately, if you use the wrong tool for the wrong job, you're not going to have success. Yeah. And so I think I'm most excited about distributed turnkey systems because I think they are ultimately opening up indoor farming and vertical farming to new markets that yeah. actually need it the most and they may not know it yet and then yeah i don't genetics and stuff has not directly impacted us too much i know there's a lot of hype around that yeah but ultimately you know the big indoor greenhouses and vertical farms the greenhouses have existed for decades so i think there's a lot of room for improvement there but that's a proven business model yeah. again selling produce into the conventional supply chain at a more local level but Really, the, the turnkey systems that are coming on the market and that are, I think, like ours that are on the market now, I think they're really opening up indoor farming to new markets. And that's super exciting. So I expect to see that trend continue as remote management solutions like ours prove that you can do vertical farming in very different ways. We're going to see more innovation on that front. Are you seeing any folks being more experimental in terms of the types of crops? I mean, I think you did list 45 different varieties. So there's a wide range of, I imagine, crops you can choose from with your environment. But are you seeing anyone pushing the limits of what's possible? Yeah, I've seen some interesting stuff. I think we're particularly excited about more con like heirloom varieties. I wouldn't say they're necessarily general, but like being able to grow stuff that you can't source conventionally, yeah. I think is opens up a lot of possibilities for culinary teams and for educational purposes. So that's something we're leaning into. And as you think about the potential that's available now that you've got this round of funding in, let's look out maybe 12 months from now. What does the roadmap look like for you going forward? Right now, it's, it's just execution, getting out there in the market. I think you know, we've got a great product. We've got some happy customers and a lot of work to do to scale up our install base. That's really all we're focused on for the next 18 months. I asked this the last time, but the answer may have changed since we last spoken. But what's a tough question you've been asking yourself recently? Yeah, I think there are some underlying questions. We've proven that you can run these farms remotely and that we can, with you know, relatively light touch, teach people to be happy. But what is it going to take to drive the cost of these units down? And I think is, and that's a bigger picture question, right? Because a lot of the sustainable solutions that exist that are going to be really important to the future, especially a climate resistant one really is about driving the cost down and opening up the market, right? So yeah. I think that is really top of mind for us is like how quick, what, what do we need to change and what can we do with the limited resources we have yeah. to get the cost of our units down as quickly as we can to ultimately make them more accessible. Where are you seeing the most growth for you personally as a CEO and as since you started the company? You probably have to ask my co-founder <laughs> or, or some of our team, but 
I try to be a lot more deliberate about meetings and yeah. spending the right amount of time with yeah. people, especially if they're, they're working with me directly. I think before, as in everything's always rushed and there's always too many things to do, but making time is, is really important for, for the things that matter. Yeah. One of the things I've been doing is leaving some space at the towards the end of these conversations. Given the, the increased visibility of the show, there's a, a lot of industry folks listening, a lot of your peers in the space listening as well. And I, what's been interesting for me is just the feedback that I've gotten from that perspective. So is there a message that you have specifically for this industry based on, you know, what we've been talking about or things that you're seeing from your end where, you know, it's helpful to have this, this platform and just want to give you that opportunity to share your thoughts? Yeah, the bigger does not mean better, but I also think it's a question of focus. We're very different to a lot of the big indoor farms. I mentioned earlier, we're not measured by the same things, but ultimately for us, you know, it's a lot about capturing some of the soft benefits of indoor farming mm. that I think people often overlook, but the ability to actually grow food in front of people and do it in a way that can really change the environment. You know, when we install micro farms in the lobby of a hotel or in the dining room, it really changes the environment for the better. Yeah. And I think that's capturing value in a way that very few other companies do, or I think very few other systems. And that's because we know our lane and we're focused on it. And I think that's something that seems to be emerging as a, a common trait is focus is key yeah. and not trying to do too many things at once is, is absolutely key to success. We know our lane and we're just focused on executing in it. And in the same way, we're, you know, you're seeing other super exciting companies kind of emerge, but just focusing on specific crop types, specific markets, whatever yeah. it might be, is often or appears to be the key to succeeding. Do you have any other indoor farming conferences scheduled for the rest of this year? believe we're going to the new york yes. ag tech innovation I'll, summit i'll yeah. be there yeah indoor ag tech nyc excellent very good see you that <laughs> so another question would be why people aren't looking at the ways these systems are being integrated together more closely yeah i think that is something that is not being asked enough and ultimately like we see ourselves as one part of the solution right and so whether it's with a local urban farming initiative with a container farm or even with a big kind of commercial greenhouse plant factory operation. Our farms are a great way for them to kind of captivate the end consumer, placing them in retail outlets, placing them in schools. And, you know, I think all of these things are ultimately growing the market, right? The more people you can educate on the benefits of local and indoor grown product, the better. And I think we've really been looking at ways to partner with whether that's local farm issues or any, any of the solutions probably out there because we can be an additional revenue source for them. We can mm. be in a, a way to kind of capture that in consumer. I think we're, we're ultimately educating a lot of people on the space anyway, just yeah. by growing ourselves. But I think there are so many opportunities for growers to work together and deploy distributed solutions alongside their existing operations. I think that's often overlooked at the moment. Yeah, I think it's something people don't think about. I think they almost envision it as an either or solution like you have to pick one or the other and there's not this opportunity to actually like have a hybrid approach or even partner together as well which i think is fascinating well, i think that the partnering is like you know you've got to focus on your thing and we focus on our thing but it doesn't mean you're not like we can come and do it for you yeah. and you can yeah, yeah. see some of the benefits <laughs> when you talk about yourself benefits i think that's how we see it at least is everyone's got their lane and we should be looking to work together more yeah well i appreciate you coming back on and sharing the updates it was great to connect with you in person as well because obviously we have these conversations remotely but it's just nice to shake your hand and be there in person and then we got some extended time on the tour which is great as well just to kind of see what's happening on the ground so looking forward to getting reconnected again in new york and congrats again on the recent round 
And we'll be sending folks to BabylonMicroforms.com. Anywhere else you want to send folks to get them connected and stay up to date? Yeah, just follow us on LinkedIn or on Instagram. Okay, we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes as well. So thanks again for getting us caught up to date. Thanks again to Alexander for returning and coming back on the show for round two. I'm so grateful when guests get to spend that first hour. So even more grateful that they decided they've had such a great experience and want to come back. And I think that's going to happen a lot more as I end up attending conferences, shaking hands, hanging out with some of my previous guests and making new friends at all these conferences. So expect a lot more to be coming pretty soon as I'm headed to Interact Tech NYC at the end of June 29th and 30th, 2023, as of this recording. As always, incredibly grateful to our Season 8 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you are looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at Cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at Fullcast.co and see if a podcast is in your marketing future. As a reminder, if you enjoyed this show or past episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. That's VFP for Vertical Farming Podcast. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Tune in next week for my conversation with another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. This time, it's the high energy (laughs) conversation I've been looking forward to sharing with you. It's with Samuel Bertrand of 1.1 definitely won't want to miss that one. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.